Well, if the producer wants to fill out their own applications, if the producer wants to uh, have no differentiation provided because there's no money there for it, if the producer wants to be a self-contained business within this environment, then go after the place that has a high commission rate. Hey, everybody, it's Tony Caldwell, and I have Randy Schwantz with me today, and we are talking about the future of insurance, uh, the future of insurance distribution. And I'm sure that most of you know Randy, or at least you've heard about Randy and his company, The Wedge Group, and his seminal book and sales technique, The Wedge. And Randy, I just have to say that, you know, 20 some odd years ago, you uh, made a big impact on me and and, uh, really helped me as a commercial insurance agent, for which I I don't want to miss the opportunity to tell you thank you. I'm sure you hear that a lot. Um, and uh, as a book author myself, it's fun to hear that people actually read the darn thing yeah. and didn't just buy it. So <laughs> anyway, right. welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, so Randy, you've written five books now, and, and I think some of them are behind us or behind you on the wall. So um, Agency Growth Machine, Grit, and Fired, along with The Wedge. And uh, you also coach uh, individually, and I think in groups, lots and lots of really successful commercial insurance agents. Uh, so anyway, I was asking, you know, how long you've been at this process of helping take ordinary insurance producers and make them great? Yeah, since March of 19, 1992. So it's 29 years here pretty soon. Okay. And I was fascinated to read uh, your bio, uh, biographical sketch on LinkedIn where uh, you know, you did a few weeks in college and said, okay, that's enough for me. And I'm going to go be, uh, I'm going to go invent this life myself. And you learned the hard way, uh, developed a lot of, uh, cool techniques and have been at it ever since. Yeah. You could even say that two weeks at school was a bit of an exaggeration. It was more Tuesday, Thursday, Tuesday. <laughs> and even at that, it was only one class per day. So yeah, it, it, it turned out not to be my thing. And, um, you know, and, and frankly, it, it's kind of cool because, you know, those things prepare us. I mean, you know, different things prepare us for different things in life. And sometimes hardship is what makes you tough and stuff like that. If you can make it through it, you come out better on the backside and knock on wood. I did. Well, I just think there's a great, you know, delicious irony that here's a guy that dropped out of college after two weeks uh, and by the way, I don't think I attended any classes at all in my first two weeks of college. I don't, you know, but, but anyway, uh, and, and becomes a professional uh, educator of professionals. So uh, anyway, I'm really happy uh, that you're with me today. And, and you've you. had a, a, a really a great view into the development of the insurance distribution industry, particularly in commercial lines, for, you know, several decades now. And I think there's probably nobody better, uh, you know, suited to tell us what professional success-oriented insurance agents need to do to be successful in the future. So let's just start with that. I mean, I'm, I'm curious, we're looking at the next three to five years, and this is probably going to be the three to five years that are most impactful uh, in maybe the last 20 or 30, in my view, uh, in insurance distribution. But I'm curious what you think about the next three to five years in that regard. Well, and, you know, my scope is just around the whole producer force. I mean, agencies have to continue to hire, train, and manage. I mean, that, that, that will never go away. I don't believe that technology is ever going to replace producers in the commercial environment. I mean, you, I was thinking about it. You know, a lot of the commercials we watch on TV where you'll see some sort of financial planning firm, uh, TD Ameritrade or Schwab or somebody, and, and they're talking about helping with financial planning to customers. Well, everything they could get from that person is basically online. You could get your hands on it, but people still want advice in areas that has iffiness associated with it. So in this world of commercial insurance, there's still a lot of iffiness that people want to go. They, they want a human they can have a conversation with. And so therefore I don't see people ever going away, but what I do see is you know, all sorts of technologies coming in that's going to make it easier for both parties, both the producer and the buyer, uh, to have uh, a better outcome. And what do you, what do you mean by a better outcome? B- better outcome is uh, a buyer being to control their costs and have certainty around the what ifs. 
just like right now, I got Alexa over here and I could go or, or Siri on my phone and go, hey, Siri, let me ask you a question. If this driver had a bus accident, boom, 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 what's my liability? And without having to talk to an agent, I'll be able to get a lot of those answers. And so that will give me a better outcome, but I'll still want to verify, validate certain things through people. And so I don't think that's ever going to go away. I think it, I think in many ways, it's going to get easier. I got another, so I got two companies I'm working with right now. One is getting great at data mining, and that's more for small commercial and personal lines to be able to take monoline, you know, get it out, do marketing to it and work to convert them. Another one's doing AI where they're, where they're transcribing conversations. And here's what's interesting, Tony, is the most untapped, richest data that an agency has are these phone conversations. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to pull that out, tag it, and be able to take action on it, it's going to be another huge you know, thing associated with technology that's going to make a lot of things better for a lot of people. So, you know, things like that you just described are going to help make us smarter, I think. Uh, you know, the, the, there'll be more actionable intelligence. But one of the things that I'm convinced is, to your point uh, that you mentioned earlier about what, what clients or customers want, they still want, you know, want around iffiness. They want to know that they can trust somebody. They can look somebody in the eye and feel like there's a human-to-human connection and that person's taking care of them, Right. Right. And so to me, I feel like the future uh, for the producer especially is, is doing what we've always done, which is develop great relationships. But what this technology does is it takes all the drudgery away from us, right? So that, and if you take the drudgery away, uh, and by that, I mean, filling out, you know, applications and doing research with, you know, what company and what form and all that kind of stuff, all that can be done like in the background. And it just gives us more time to focus on the relationship itself. And really, that's where you've been for 30 years. If you're uh, talking to a prospect, you're really looking for, you know, those points of difference. So, you know, when your agent came out and he showed you the Modmaster report, how'd that go, right? I mean, those kinds of questions are really designed to show the prospect that maybe he doesn't have the relationship that he thought he did. Um, and so it seems like this uh, really for your clients gives you much, much more bandwidth for success going forward than even in the past. What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, either much, much more or, um, uh, or the same, right? I mean, and the reason I say that is um, as, as bandwidth increases, you know, in one way, it's a good increase for their competitor. So, it's, so, it's, so, it's, so it always has been and always will be in this side of it, I believe, is, um, you know, the 80-20 rule or some crazy number like that's going to play because there's a certain small group of agency leaders that um, are like coaches on a team. I mean, I, I, I relate building a producer force a lot like any sort of athletic team, head coach, playbook, you got to have strong practices. Uh, you, you, in practice, you're beating each other up, right? I mean, it's not, it's not just mental. It's you're going after each other. And you're preparing to go get into the battle and win the game. So there's, there's a small group of agency owners that believe that uh, and are willing to follow through and do it. And it's that group of people, as a general rule, that will build strong sales teams and then build to exploit everybody else's weakness and build to grow big, great agencies, make a lot of money. Um, and that, and that's just, you know, as I look across and I talk to hundreds of agency owners every year of which a small group are prepared to go do that. And the other group, I, it's funny how many people I've heard from about every three years with the same problem. And they're afraid to make a decision, pull the trigger and go do something great for themselves. And then they get bought out by a PE firm and just get morphed up into a marshmallow, right? So, yeah, I want to come back to PE firms in just a minute, but you said something that just reminded me of something. Um, so the great actor, Sean Connery, you know, passed away just a few days ago. Yeah. And lots and lots of people are writing about, you know, Connery and the, and the James Bond franchise and all this kind of stuff. And I was reminded, though, of a different movie, um, The Untouchables, about Elliot Ness. Um, and he plays this, you know, quintessential, uh, hard-bitten uh, Irish 
you know, beat cop in, uh, in, in uh, Chicago. And if you, if you remember the movie, you know, it's getting really tough and people are getting killed and it's getting really serious. And he says to the uh, Elliot Ness, uh, the, his character says to Elliot Ness, what are you prepared to do? It's one of my favorite questions of all time, not just the movies. And, and so, and it's really the, the question that agency owners have to ask themselves, uh, not just in the future, but they've always had to ask themselves. And, and you're bringing that up, which is what are right. you prepared to do? Right. What are you going to do to take your own success by, you know, uh, by the collar and deal with it? So you don't think that changes. How could it change? I mean, you, you just go back. I mean, we're, we're dealing with human beings. We're dealing with uh, emotional beings. Uh, we're dealing with um, belief sets about what can be done, what can't be done. And, and, you know, when you start to stack enough of that evidence, you know, if you get the guy that never has been able to break out, then he's, he's, he's actually created a coalition of others who can't break out. And they sit there and commiserate about how you can't break out. And then you go get the, you know, the Sabins, the Davo Sweeney's, the Coach K's. Belichick's getting his butt kicked this year, but I promise you he'll be back, right? You get those guys that figure out how to build a franchise, develop a team, do things, and it's a smaller group. Has always been that way. Will always be that way. And what's what's interesting about that is that in spite of a small group that are really really good and a big large group of mediocrity, that industries continue to keep going and it just keeps working out and all this sort of stuff. So that's just another way to say there's a place for everybody. There's a place for the great. There's generally a place for the mediocre. And there's a place for the bad. It just depends on what you want, right? I, I love that. I mean, it depends on what you want. So uh, I have a business coach, Dan Sullivan, who's written a book, you know, Wanting What You Want. And he talks about how it, that's really the fundamental place to begin with in any entrepreneurial journey. And you make that decision. So really, you're making the point that the agency owner makes that decision. They make the decision to be mediocre or worse, or they make the decision to be great. And it comes back to Sean countering this question, what are you prepared to do about it? So that doesn't change. Um, and, and by the way, Dan Sullivan's got a new book out, which you probably know about. And it's it's not how, but who. It's, it's, um, it's like this book right here on grit. That's a book on hiring producers. Yep. Most people, most agencies are really bad at that. And it's in the numbers. Can't hide from it. You know, the, the, the worst agencies are maybe two out of 10. The best agencies, Reagan put out a report that I saw a couple of years ago, was at 84% or eight and a half out of 10. Well, the difference between eight and a half and two is 6.5, right? I mean, I can do the math. It's a huge amount of money and failure and loss. And so the, the guys that are doing well, there's no secret to it. It's a hiring process. It's tough on the vetting element. So you got to be good recruiting. You really got to vet. You you got to get into the psyche, and I, I don't think I coined this word, but but I think about hiring as an evidence based process. It, it it's like if we were hiring a um, a professional baseball player, a pitcher, you wouldn't ask the guy, "Hey man, are you a good pitcher?" Of course he say yes. You'd put him on the mound, make him throw, put a radar gun on him, make him throw a fastball, you know, fastball, curveball, right. slider ball, boom, boom, boom. You put him with a physical therapist, make him boom, boom. You put him with the MRI, go through all that stuff. Then you put him with the, the sports psychologist. And if he makes it through all that and you got evidence, 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 give the guy a contract. If he fails at any one of those places, don't, put the, don't give the guy a big contract. Well, when you hire producers the same way, you end up hiring really, really talented people. Well, now you take talented people and you onboard them well. In other words, you train them, mm -hmm. you teach them differentiation, you teach them how to make cold calls, and you set up a platform to manage that performance or get them out. Those guys grow agencies. So that's where you go back to Dan's book, Who, Not How. You get the right who in, then the how also kicks in, right? Right. Yeah. yeah, you know, and the genius of the of the of that of that question, though, by the way, is is that you know how pro promotes procrastination because we don't know how, so we don't ever get started, and you just learn to ask a different question, right? Which is who yeah. can do this? Who, who, so if you're if you're an agency owner and you've had a lot of failure in the past in hiring producers, 
uh, instead of trying to figure out how to do it, you know, really you need to be thinking about who could do it for you, right? That, that's the idea. And, and of course, so I'm just curious, but I mean, do you hire producers or do you just train them? Um, yeah, so, so we, we definitely train them. Uh, and for the most part, I teach people how to hire, right? And then for some, some clients, we assist them in that process. But that came from, uh, in Fort Worth, Texas, over a decade, helping a firm that was, at the, when we started out, they were a $4 million firm. 10 years later, a $30 million revenue firm. So it went from four to 30 million. And you know these guys really well. Um, half of that was organic and half of it was acquisition. Helped them hire, and the point is, I helped them hire 34 people, 29 made it. Amazing right. track record. So I just reverse engineered that whole process and then wrote that book. And that's what I'm teaching people how to do. And uh, I got agency owner after agency owner that, that you know, says in a nice, polite way, man, thank you. Because every time we avoid a hiring mistake, we just save fifty to $100,000. So my return on investment is enormous, right? right? Enormous. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, um, mentioned private equity firms uh, a few minutes ago. And obviously, we've been, I mean, there's been acquisitions and mergers in the insurance agency space for 30 years. It doesn't seem like it's ever going to stop. But the last five or six years have been uh, truly uh, extraordinary. And uh, I've read and have talked to several people who really think that we're down now to four or five years of inventory in terms of investable insurance agencies. And what appears to be happening is that the middle's getting hollowed out. So you're getting a lot of really big agencies through acquisition and you're getting a lot of startups. Uh, people are leaving those bureaucratic organizations that are being created and starting their own organizations. But in the middle, we've kind of beginning to lose this, what we would typically see as a, you know, million, $2 million, maybe $5 million revenue agency cornerstone anchoring a, a, a community. And so um, I'm curious what you think and what you're seeing in your, in your work is you think the big keep getting bigger and we're going to just permanently lose this middle ground, or is it going to be backfilled by new startup agencies over the next decade or so? All I can give you is, is kind of the, my, my evidence what's happening. You know, as we continue to boost up our marketing, you know, the people, we're attracting a lot of those, uh, you know, million, million, half, two million dollar shops, mm -hmm. which historically I never really dealt with much. I mean, I, I was, um, there was one point I dealt with 55 of the top 100 agencies that year. I mean, that, wow. was, that was my niche. But, you know, things go through cycles and uh, with COVID and all that sort of stuff, now I'm seeing a whole bunch of these, uh, eight, like I talked to 800,000, 1.2 million, uh, both conversations a little while ago, small shops that now see the vision of what they could do and they're looking for a way to go get there. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of that. You look at them at a, as a general rule, some generalizations. Um, they're attracting a lot of no growth agencies. I mean, that's what they've got. And so then they've aggregated up a billion, billion and a half, $2 billion. And it's still by definition, a no growth firm. So it seems to me that they'll be taken out by one of the public companies here before long. And so then you'll get bigger beggars. And then once again, you'll see a big banana peeling off because they all know how to do it right. and come back and somehow they'll regenerate and, and there'll be a new cycle that all kick in. Yeah, I have a friend who's in the M&A business, and he makes the point, he goes, buyers have to buy. And so as the inventory of really high-quality agencies shrinks, they've still got to, you know, it's like a shark has to swim and eat, right? So they're going to be buying more and more of these, uh, you know, mediocre, low-growth, low low-performance agencies. Um, so with that going on over the next, you know, if, if there's four or five years of those kinds of deals left in front of you, it sounds like to me, this is an awesome time if you're a smaller agency to really accelerate. Um, is, that, is that how you're seeing it with your clients? Whether the, the four to five year inventory, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. It, it is whatever it is. And I'm not in that game enough to play and know how long it's going to last or anything. I do agree with you. So many of the middle market agencies have been gutted. Uh, th that number is so low. The report I saw the other day was 650 to 700 acquisitions this year. Same last year, same year before. So that's 2,800 by and large reported agencies that we know have got to be in the range of two to six, eight thousand dollars, eight million in revenue. 
Right. They just gutted it right out. But whether they do or don't, um, you know, an astute, driven, quote unquote, young agency owner that, that can see a 10, 15, 20 year vision of what life could be like has really got, they got the, they, they got the bull by the horns. I mean, there's, there's nothing in their way to go do extraordinary things. I talk to them all the time. And when it comes to differentiation, I mean, the reason I got this stuff on my, my table back here is the red, white, and blue really represents the blue is, is, is our producer. The guy in, in the middle is the buyer and the, the guy in red is the incumbent. And then all those little, the, the little cones over there I got are the, the Legos really represent potential differentiation. And um, it is still true, even after the wedge having been out there for, uh, it was published in 97, I think. Um, and it's still selling hotcakes. I'm, I'm pretty amazed, but it sells really well. That, that still the majority of agencies are the price coverage relationship agencies. Their godfather told them to sell that way and they're still listening to the godfather. And so the ability to go out and exploit their weaknesses and grow great agencies, it's just, it's an amazing opportunity for those people who've got that drive. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited to hear you say that. I mean, I think that the, the agency uh, has a bigger future than it's, than it's past. Uh, and, and obviously we're fellow travelers in that, in that regard. So um, I am curious uh, though, I mean, do you, do you see that, uh, you, you mentioned differentiation. And so I, I, I'm a big believer in uh, a niche or target marketing. And today we're having this conversation on Zoom where we might have done it, you know, in person, um, uh, you know, six or eight months earlier uh, than today. Right. But, but I think, you know, a year ago, nobody knew what Zoom was. And you, you tended to operate a community was really defined as a geographical thing. And I think we're rapidly beginning to see that a community can be anything you want it to be. And it doesn't, it's not limited by geography. So I'm curious what you're seeing agents doing with this new technology. Do you see a lot of guys going, okay, you know, you're in North Carolina, but it's no big deal to sell insurance in California, Washington state, or back in Dallas in your old hometown. Do you see that as a coming thing? And how does that really begin to change the nature of how we sell market and distribute insurance at the agency level? Well, I see. So I, I, th- there's there's two questions in that. W- one one is yes for a producer. I'm not limited by geography at all anymore. Mm-hmm. What what they're limited by is their mindset. And it's interesting how many of them are still yearning to get back out where they can get face to face, and they're resisting getting good at this type of technology, making virtual sales calls using the tools. I mean, I, I've done several on how to make virtual sales calls. That's, that's how I've been selling for my 25 years. Most of it's been virtual like this. Mm-hmm. And th- there's a set of tools they ought to get used to using. It's just not that hard that would make everything so easy for them. Some want to do it, but a lot of them resist because they think it's all about getting eyeball to eyeball with people. And that's just a mental mistake that, that, that is going to prevent them from having the success they want. So that's the producer. A few will do well. A bunch are resisting it. But what's also interesting is this. I've had conversations with two young guys recently. Uh, both of them are in their, I'm going to say mid to late 30s. Uh, one guy uh, hired, I think he's in Atlanta. He hired a guy in Denver. I think he hired somebody in Maryland. I think he hired somebody down in South Carolina or something. And the epiphany he had is in this world, why can I not have a virtual sales force? Right. Had another guy call me that, that's out of Nashville. That uh, This dude was a startup. Uh, I'm guessing four years ago or something like that. Raised a little bit of money and now has already built a $5 million revenue agency. Wow. Oh, yeah. He's, he's just smoking it. Um, and, he's got, and, and he called me up and said, he said, Randy, I, you know, same as I know you know a lot of people. Um, what I want to do is I'm willing to create little LLCs and, and give people a chance to, to own part of the firm. Uh, and I see it being all over the country. Why not? And I go, I don't, I don't, I don't have a reason why not. I think you could do that. So I, th- I see that the, 
you know, the Zoom and the virtuality and the, the ability to be anywhere, anytime, anyplace opens up a lot of doors, both for producers and agency owners in that regard. You don't have to have your sales team under your feet anymore. Yeah, you know, if you're, if you're managing uh, by taking attendance, this is a terrible thing for you. Um, you know, if that's how you, but if you're measuring, you know, success by what you got done, uh, the, the, the tools are already there. So you have, you know, uh, Slack, Teams, uh, Zoom, you have all these tools for staying in touch with people. Um, you know, I'm on a uh, agents council for a, one of the larger uh, commercial carriers in the country. And we were having a conversation, I don't know, last month, month before. Uh, and we were asked by, you know, by folks on the company side, like, what do you guys see the, the differences? Because what we see is two kinds of agents over the last six or eight months. There are some who are just killing it. Killing I mean, it. They're, they're killing it. Killing it. And then there's a bunch of – so as, as a friend of mine said, there's people who are kicking ass and those who are getting their asses kicked. So this right. lady didn't put it quite like that. But the point is she uh, sees two different kinds of commercial agents right now. One, to your point, they're just sort of hanging on, waiting for this to be over in a year or two or three, uh, which it could take that long, by the way, if you talk to the vaccine manufacturers. And others are not waiting. They're just jumping out there, changing tactics and strategy uh, to, to use the virtual tools at their disposal and are killing. So, you know, it seems to me, and I'm curious what you think, that really this, you mentioned mindset earlier. Um, I, I was, I did a podcast a couple of weeks ago with a friend of mine in London whose work is all around adaptability and he can measure it. Uh, really, uh, and you talked about evidence-based. I mean, they developed a lot of things to measure adaptability. Right. It, it seems like the faster we move going into the future, the more adaptability becomes really, really critical. Um, and yet, basic sales skills don't change because it's just about connecting with people. Yeah, so you're, you're right. I mean, the, um, so, so adaptability... In my opinion, for the most part, uh, it's obviously a mental game mm-hmm. that anybody can do, but not anybody will, right? Anybody right. can do, but not anybody will. It's almost like adaptability on your, on your golf swing. Almost everybody has the physical ability to move differently and change a golf swing, but not everybody's willing to do that, to take the lessons and work on it to get better. So, it's the mindset that leads to adaptability. And, and so I, I just keep, you know, like the podcast I do, and I'll just make a quick plug. It's called Agency Growth Machine. Um, and you can find it on, you know, iTunes and Stitcher and all those kind of places. Mm-hmm. But most of those are, um, honestly, me just getting on there. And, and they've all been solo for, for, for the most part. But just getting on there and talking through, different mindset type of stuff. Because frankly, um, I, 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 tell, I tell dudes, mostly dudes, you know, when I'm having a conversation with them, prospects, I go, look, um, if you've got the ability to make decisions, then you can grow a big agency. If you struggle to make decisions, then you're going to struggle to hire producers. You're going to struggle to fire bad guys. You're going to struggle with making technologies, but you're just going to struggle with everything. And so interesting enough, a decision is a mindset based upon if you've got too much fear driving you, you'll procrastinate. If you don't, you'll make the decision, move on. And then if it doesn't work out, you'll adapt and go. When you look at the world at large or agencies at large or our business at large, as well as all others, <clears throat> some are in environments that they get challenged and they like it. Others are environments where they don't want to be challenged and it becomes this mediocre group thing. And that to me, you can just almost draw a line between those two things and know who's going to play big and who's not. So it doesn't matter what technology comes along. It doesn't matter whether um, people want to buy their insurance, you know, uh, on the internet. Uh, it's how you think about it that's going to determine your success. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I've been doing uh, a series on the, the book, Think and Grow Rich. The book was written back in 1960. Yes, Napoleon Hill. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, now it's it's in the public domain. 
And so if anybody wants a copy, you can go to my website, thewedge.net slash TGR, download a copy. And, and I'm working people through that because it goes back to that as a man thinketh, so is he, right? Yep. And if you can change the thinker, then you will change the thinking and you'll, you'll see things different and you'll be able to prosper. If you don't, you get stuck in your little tiny box about the way things are and you can't progress out of it. So, so then once you change your thinking, then you also, part of that thinking leads you to go find resources to help you accomplish what you want to accomplish, right? The right kind of technology, the right kind of agency management system. Somebody teach me how to hire. Somebody teach me how to prospect better. Teach me how to do these things. But I got to be open and believe in I can do that, get that, get that outcome. And it's just amazing to me. Um, how I, I saw it when I was a kid growing up on a farm out in Lubbock, Texas. One farmer, you see two fields right adjacent to each other. One field, the rows were plowed straight. The cotton was beautiful. There were no weeds in it. The field right adjacent to it, short cotton, weeds everywhere, hadn't been plowed well, whatever. It, it happened with farmers then. It's happened with farmers today. It happened with insurance agents then. It's happened with insurance agents today. It's just a repetition of everything that started 5 million years ago, probably, or whenever humanity first cranked it up. You know, many years ago, uh, so Dan Sullivan again, you know, he, he uh, used to say it's easier to grow 10 times than two times. And I asked him, I said, so surely you're speaking metaphorically. <laughs> and I got a, I got a real uh, hour of, of, you know, nonstop Dan after that. But the point right. is, if, you know, if you're trying to grow 10 times instead of two times, you got to do everything differently. You have to throw the book out and start over and think, yeah, you got to think differently. And I remember when I came back convinced that that's what we wanted to do. And I had a, I had a team meeting and I said, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to grow 10 times. Everybody eyed rolled and, you know, heavy breathing and all that stuff. None of those people work for us anymore, uh, by the way, but we're also 10 times bigger. And so, uh, and, you know, we're on our third 10 times sprint and it's just really setting uh, a bigger vision. So I'm the chairman of a small community bank and we're doing planning. And so, um, you know, i I said, hey, I want to grow 10 times. It's funny because it's the same thing all over again. You know, linear thinkers really struggle with this idea that you can decide what your future is going to be and it will happen. Um, you know, it's it, the act of deciding what your future will be is actually the, is the thing that makes it happen. Everything else just shows up after that. Has that been your experience? It's been mine. Yeah. Yeah. You have to do the work. You have to believe that that's possible. And that's why Dan has, what, three or 4,000 members rather than three or 400,000 members in his deal. That, right. that even, even though it's all true, it's still an elite club of people who are willing to step out, think that way, start to work on it, and let it happen, hire the right people, get rid of the wrong people, and do that. And, you know, you, you, so, so now we go back to inside of an agency. You call up an agency owner, they call you. You go, well, yeah, yeah. How many producers you guys have? And they always laugh. <laughs> well, it depends on what you want to call a producer. Mm -hmm. Well, a producer is a guy that's probably hitting, you know, a guy or gal that's doing 75 to 125,000 new business year after year after year. You know, somebody down around that 25,000 range, we're going to call them account manager. Now, how many producers do you have? Well, uh, we've got two out of how many? 10. All right. You know, so, so that's a who problem, right? Then you get down to a decision. Well, what are you going to do with all those people that don't produce? You know, what do you do with that? And those are all the tough decisions that if the, if the environment is not right, the, the, the environment inside their head, you know, their brain swimming around in that, that, that salt water or whatever they say it is, right? That's environment number one. Environment number two becomes this external environment. Unless those environments are not right, or unless they are right, I mean, they're, they're frozen in place. And so this industry probably like most, has been frozen in place for 100 years. And there's a few people that go jump in the oven, thaw it out, and go make it happen. And so I don't know why, you know, when I sit there and think about that, I don't know why we'd ever be surprised by that. Um, and then guys like you and me, I mean, our job is to go attract those people that, that have that desire in their heart and they want to try to find a way to manifest it not the people that have no desire and then try to <laughs> turn them into something. 
So if, if I could get one takeaway from this conversation, Randy, it's that um, there's going to be a lot of technical changes uh, in the industry. There are a lot of technical changes in the industry. AI and other things are going to create tools for us to, to use if we want to. But at the end of the day, uh, would you agree with me that really that's all irrelevant if your all mindset irrelevant. is right? Yeah. All I mean, irrelevant. Yeah, yeah, all irrelevant. So, um, you know, because there's a lot of people uh, focused on the fear of what the future is going to do to them. I remember 20-ish years ago, right, everybody was terrified that the internet was going to take their business away. Right. And, uh, you know, after about six months to a year, it was like Brigadoon, you know, we all went back to sleep. And 10 or 15 years later, we woke up and go, oh, my God, the Internet's going to take our business away. And there was a little, you know, flurry of fear around that. Everybody went back to sleep again. And now uh, it's, you know, we're waking. It's not every 100 years. It seems like now this, this, the cycle of going to sleep and waking back up again is about five years. Uh, but now everybody's awake going, oh, God, the Internet and AI and all this kind of stuff is going to uh, take our business away. Well, if, if, if it's going to take our business away, it's going to take away all business. Yeah, right. It'll take away all business. It'll take away everything. We won't need people anymore. So we'll just send them all to the moon or to Mars or something. And see, so that's, that's just virtually not going to happen. So, right. so then w- what will happen is those technologies will, will help eliminate the same people that everything else has helped eliminate it. Competition eliminates people who don't want to progress. Technologies eliminate people. Insurance carriers who are sick of putting up with people who don't want to grow and have high high loss ratio, they eliminate. So everybody, it's always in the life and death cycle of rebirth and elimination. So the people that are only going to get eliminated are the people that are virtually dead. People who are alive, people who are thinking, they're never going to get eliminated. Never. Okay. So... If, if I'm a 35-year-old guy and I've got an insurance agency that I just started from scratch because I left, you know, the big alphabet house that acquired one too many uh, non-growth agency created bureaucracy, and I don't want that anymore. So I'm either starting up from scratch or I just inherited or bought out my family uh, ownership in an agency that's been in business 50 years, but, you know, is sitting in a community and I want to do something with it. Okay, I, I want to dream big dreams and have a big future. Uh, for, and, and I know, look, I know you, you teach people how to grow their salespeople. So, you know, you, you've got an obvious answer here to, to the question, but I'm, I'm asking you to, you know, think outside of that just for a second. What are the two or three things that I need to do to make sure that I achieve my dreams and goals over the next three to five years? Kind of what's first and second and third in your mind? Well, so part of achieving your goal has to do with revenue creation. Okay. Right? I mean, isn't it? I mean, how how could you get from there to there without creating more revenue? Right. So then then you go look at what are your resources for creating revenue? A, hire more retention. You want higher retention. You want to retain more. There's a process to do that. Uh, cross-sell and get more out of existing customers. There's a process to do that. And then go get more customers. And there's a process to do that. And so why would you want to make it a lot more complicated than I've got three tiers. I got to, I got to, get, I got to retain more. I got to get more out of those people I retain. And I got to go get more. How am I going to have a higher retention rate? Well, okay. depends on what the mix is like but there's a service value proposition there that you want to work on. Anyway, you get the point. Same thing with getting new. You reverse engineer it. And then now that you know, then you start and you go. You know, it's really interesting. I don't talk to very many people who think of this the same way I do. So, uh, you know, I tell agents all the time, you know, when you're building your agency, the first thing you need to think about is retention, not new business. And, you know, you build your client retention strategy first and then work on new business strategy because, you know, you want to keep the business you've already got. Uh, Plus, Here's the big plus. Pardon me for interrupting. Yep. You want to keep what you got. Plus, it's that retention strategy is what you're really selling to go win the business from the other guy. That right. Is, that right. Is it's your value proposition. I mean, if you can't keep your customers, you have no value proposition to get new ones. Exactly. And and um, and and if your retention strategy is we're local, we're nice people, you don't have a retention strategy. No. So. No. 
it, it's got to have in look, I'm, uh, I told you I went to college three days, so nobody can claim me for being arrogant about my language, but, but, but somewhere along the way, and I'm happy to tell the story if you want to hear it, but, but this guy mate, he, uh, I'm going to tell you a story. I was doing this profile. The first question had some sort of question about, uh, I am highly effective something. I don't know what it was. Ranking on a scale of one to five, went through, answered all these questions. So I ranked that a four on a scale of five. And then he goes, Mr. Schwanz, uh, you said uh, that you're uh, effective most of the time or something like that. And you ranked it a four. Why not a five? Well, I don't know. I don't want to be arrogant. You know, well, why not a three? Well, I think I'm better than average. And then he asked me, he said, well, what is effective? And I go, well, effective is being effective. <laughs> he said, you can't answer the word with word. He took a dictionary. This is back when we had real dictionaries. He threw it at me. Boom. Look it up. And so when you look up the word and you, you find out real clear, real fast, you can't be effective unless you have a really a well-defined outcome. So being effective is achieving a well-defined outcome. Boom. After that, I look up everything. What I really uh, get here is, okay, you got to have the right mindset. You got to dream your own dream. And then, you know, really there's nothing uh, as Og Mandino, another famous uh, person in sales would say, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, it, it, it doesn't change. We use technology. Other things come along. The market changes. People change. But the secrets to success don't change. Right. And, and, and part, part of what is leaving the words is it become a student about what is success, become a student about what is motivated, become a student of what does a producer look like, become a student of all those things, build it. And that's why I was going back to the guys kind of tied into retention. You, you know, when you sit there and think about what is the secret to retention is differentiation. The secret to winning new business is differentiation. Go look up the word different, look up the word contrast, look up the word juxtapose, and then ask yourself the question, does what I believe and what I say makes us different fit that definition? And if not, you're lying to yourself. You're just pure lying to yourself. And so now you start to, that, that really becomes the filter by which you put everything through is those definitions. And then that, that challenges your mind to go grow it to the next level. And you become a thinker about how to go win, retain, and all of this stuff. It's just not that hard in one way. Right. But let's say that I've got drive and ambition. And I want to build a big life for myself. And I'm coming, you know, I'm coming out of college uh, and I want to do that. You know, what's the most important thing for me to look forward to and demand and expect out of an agency that I'm going to go be a part of for the next, you know, 5, 10, 20 years of my life? What, what, what does that look like? Well, one, I would think of a cooperative culture uh, where, there, where there's, there's energy around us helping each other figure out how to, how to win and go beat and grow because we know they're all, all, the, all those guys out there are the enemy. And the more you have a cooperative culture and you, you come into that, then, then you're going you're gonna to get, get induced to the Kool-Aid of making things happen and helping other people make things happen because you can't do it alone. So that's one thing I'd be looking at. Then the second I'd be looking for is do they have, you know, what I'm going to think of as a growth playbook that I can then get into that playbook. I want it black and white enough to where I can learn it. And, and I want something that has been proven. I don't, you know. And so, so I, I go back and look at uh, a Saban as an example. Saban has a playbook. He brings people in. They watch film. They study the playbook. They get on the field. They run through the plays. They hit each other. They do things. It's a cooperative culture, all with the intent that we want to build champions. And if you've got enough champion people on the team, you'll probably win a championship. Yep. That's how Saban plays. So if you had a culture that developed champions, you had a playbook by how it's done so that you could come in there and you could get on that path. You can learn. Uh, they've got differentiation. They've got training. There's a certain level of accountability. There are sales meetings that make me better. Then the chances are you found yourself a great place. If I went in there and they go, come on in, Tony. Look, man, we treat you like a professional, you know? You get your license, you come in here and you do what you want to do. It's up to you to be successful. I would run like hell. Run. 
Yeah, see, I think that's very important. And I, and I hope that if anybody stuck with us this long in this conversation really takes this away is that, you know, there's only one or two things you're really, really good at, maybe three, you know, everything else you're kind of, you know, you're okay at it. Maybe you're real, you know, you're, but it's not your gift. So if you put all your time and effort into developing your craft as a salesperson, everything that takes away from time in front of a customer prospect in selling is a waste of your time. It's like, I tell people, you know, your time isn't worth anything till you run out of it. And then when you do, you've got to count the cost because then you want to say, if you're making 300 bucks an hour, everything under $300 an hour, you need to be hiring somebody else to do. And yet most producers don't think this way. And once again, I mean, you, you know, we all get to thank Dan for his influence on us in that regard. I remember first time I heard of Dan Sullivan, uh, I got on his website. He sent me a, a big old uh, videotape. And all I remember him saying is hitting the glass ceiling. Yep. And then he said this phrase, you can't make $100,000 a year doing $12 an hour work. Yeah, you got to get that stuff off your plate. And when you get the big commission, then you get no help and you're stuck. You're just purely stuck. Most producers do not know because they're not, A, a think about it. When we grew up, our parents said, don't talk about money. If you have no money, you know, my dad would say, and we didn't have any money, you know, that guy, that guy, rich guy, he puts his pants on one leg at a time, just like you. Don't be intimidated by him. If you do have money, you know, the rich father tells his son, don't talk about money because they're going to try to take it from you. So however you look at it, people don't talk about money. It's just the taboo thing. Well, you get into an agency environment. Who's talking to the producer? Making them think about, it's not how big your book of business is. It's not how much you make. As a producer, it's how much you save that creates wealth. And if you don't build a book of business big enough to where you can save $50,000, $60,000 a year at the minimum, at the minimum, for a minimum of 20-year period of time at something like 6 or 7% interest rate, if you do that, you'll have $2 million plus in your retirement account. But I'm telling you, Tony, uh, out of the six or seven or thousand agents that I've trained, there's less than probably 10% at the top that are doing that. And there's 90% or not, and they have no influence in their life, challenging them to think about that. So now when I come back to if I'm an agency owner, you know what I'm selling? I'm selling, go, go talk to every shop around here and get to know who they are and what they do. Interview them hard. Tell them you're interested. Um, and then come back and let's talk again. Now, why I, want it, why I want them to go interview everybody so that they'll see how mediocre everybody is. That's number one. Right. Number two, you know, ask about the sales platform, ask about the differentiation, ask about the culture, ask about how they help, ask about all that sort of stuff. Because I'm telling you, I got a platform for, I got it all mapped out for you. And then when they come back that second time, then I'm going to lay out how, and, and I think it's true, I'm committed to helping you leave this industry a multimillionaire. Nobody else is even talking about it. Nobody else even cares. Agency owners care about themselves, not about their team. And that team is what's going to make the agency owner wealthy. Let's, um, let, me, let me wrap up by asking just a couple of quick questions about um, how you might be able to influence the thinking of the insurance agency owner that's out there. Again, it's a guy that just inherited his family agency or the guy that just started the agency and really wants to do something significant and special with that. So you've written five books and you're a, you're a, you do sales coaching. And of, of the five books, where, where should somebody start? Get on Amazon, read this book by Randy. Which one? Yeah, I would read that one right there, Agency Growth Machine. Okay. In fact, if you go to my website, thewedge.net, Okay. Uh, there's a there's a place you can go get a digital copy for free, or you can buy it if you want. You can do either one; it doesn't matter to me. I don't know how you feel about this, and if this is what drives you. I mean, obviously, somebody reads your book, they're going to be maybe influenced to uh, reach out to you. But the flip side is, I'll bet you agree with this, which is we all stand on somebody else's shoulders, and so you know you want to help people whether you get anything out of it or not, right? Yeah. Somebody, you're standing on somebody's shoulders. Yeah. So I mean, if 100 people get and read it. You know, two people will be the kind of people that I want to attract because, yep. yeah. So, but, but in that book, no, some say go get the book because it lays it out. It lays out what I've, what I've deemed the five steps to extraordinary growth. And number one is, it's very simple. You got to commit to growth. That's what you're, you're talking about. You got to commit to growth. That's a mindset. You got to commit to it. And 
you know, I ask this question a lot. Is there, is there anything you've ever committed to that you don't have? And the answer is always no. Always no. The biggest reason agency owners don't grow is they never committed to it. They're just trying stuff. It's part number one. Part number two is commit to helping every producer you got double their personal income. Help them make twice as much money. When you start to focus inside out, helping them do that, and there's going to be some that don't want to because they're afraid and, and, and we think they're content, but they're really all they're, all they're working out of is fear, right? Right. I mean, well, so that's number one. Step number two, then install a playbook. You, you can't go teach coach train unless you've got a playbook. And most of them don't have a playbook. They say they do, but they're generally lying to themselves because when I say show it to me, they can't. So if you don't have a playbook in writing, you don't have a playbook. Number three, once you got a playbook, you got to train, 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 train. If you're my wide receiver, if you're my tight end, if you're my running back, here's the playbook. Tony, when we call this play, I'm going to turn, I'm going to hand you the ball. You're going to run right over the guard and you're going to go do that. Or I call another play. You know, my tight end, you're going to go down about eight yards plant and go out at 45 degree. And I'm going to have a ball there to you on your third step. We've timed it out. We know it's going to be six seconds. Boom, boom, boom. Playbook. But if you don't have the skill to come off the line, plant and go that way, the ball's not going to be where you're supposed to. So if we don't train, 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 people never build the skills. If they don't have the skills, they don't have the confidence. They don't have the confidence. They won't knock on big doors. They won't do big things. Training builds confidence. And so when agency owners ask producers, do you want to get, would you like to get better at this? And they go, well, not really. I think we're fine. <laughs> then the tail is wagging the dog. Right. And it's like I'm saying, you know, it's like I'm telling people all the time, it's like quit getting buy-in from producers, lead them. So part of leading them is train them. Next is then drive behaviors, certain behaviors, prospecting behaviors, selling behaviors. You got to drive those behaviors. You got kids. I got kids. Uh, we, I, we trained our kids to be polite, to do the homework, to make up their beds, all that stuff. We trained them to do that. But if we didn't drive the accountability, they still wouldn't because they're humans. Right. So you got to drive the, you got to drive those behaviors. And then the last is create a culture of accountability. And we lay down what we call the three C's of accountability. And everybody's afraid of that. So when everybody's, when, when agency owners are working out of fear, they're, they're already pre-crushed. When you work out of future hope, optimism, what I desire, and you're willing to adapt, you'll go grow it. And that book lays out everything that you ought to do. Okay. I'm going to go and buy myself a copy of Agency Growth Machine because I haven't read that one yet. And I appreciate you uh, previewing it and introducing it to me. But I think I'm going to recognize a lot of stuff when I'm reading it. So I'm really excited to do that. Um, Randy, I really appreciate you joining me today. I mean, again, uh, uh, you, you were influential in my early career as, a, as an insurance producer, my thinking around uh, the way I wanted to run an insurance agency and an organization. And so I want to say again, thank you for that. But I want to really say thank you today for, you know, driving home this point, which is, yeah, the future is scary. So what? It's going to be fine. Nothing really that matters is going to change. And it's mindset, commitment, hard work, practice training, and all the things we've been talking about that make you successful uh, 10 years ago, today, and into the future. So thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm talking to independent agency owners about this all the time. If you'd like to have a more personalized conversation, click on the button or the link in the description, and we'll make that happen. You can also reach out to me at TonyCaldwell.com net slash contact.